If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I was talking to my sister about uh, the aggressive nature in which our dog Howard pursues the under the covers sleep times. Yes. He's very insistent on getting under the covers. And we don't care for that. No, especially when I'm sleeping nude. It, I just, I can't. Can't I'm allow s- it. Sorry, buddy. I love you. But, but my sister reminded me of a little dog we had when I was young, a little toy poodle. Her name was Fleur. Aww. And she would drag her toys into our beds and hide them underneath the, the sheets. And there was one day when my mom was making some kind of a stew, and she gave Fleur, well, let me put it this way. I went to bed, and I threw my covers back, and there was what appeared to be a bloody femur <laughs> in, my, Fleur, no. in, my, in my bed. She had dragged this huge soup bone that was probably three times the size of her up the stairs, got it up onto the bed and under my covers. Saving it for later. It was kind of like one, like a godfather moment, but instead of a horse's head, it was a, a lamb's leg or something. It was weird. So at least we don't have to deal with that. Yeah, that's good. You and your sister have the weirdest stories. Yeah, we had a weird childhood. Speaking of a weird story, uh, here we go. We've heard the phrase, it must have been lost in translation. Mm -hmm. Also, it's a great movie by Bill Murray. Uh, But that's not the point. Sometimes the mistranslation of a word can have dire consequences. Sometimes they're inconsequential outcomes. But then there are times that... uh, it's greatly altered the course of history. Here's an example. In 1945, toward the end of World War II, leaders of the Allied nations submitted the Potsdam Declaration to the Imperial Japanese government. The Allied leaders, including uh, Harry S. Truman, Winston Churchill, Joseph Stalin, and others, drafted an extremely sternly worded declaration for uh, Japan's surrender. They said that if Japan did not surrender, then it would cause, quote, the prompt and utter destruction of Japan. 
Now, the declaration was sent, and then the Allied leaders waited patiently for Japan's response. Okay. At the time, Tokyo reporters who were covering the story questioned the Japanese premier, Kentaro Suzuki, on what the Japanese government's decision would be. At this point, Suzuki had nothing to say because the government had not made any kind of an official decision yet, so he replied with the word mokusatsu, which he, he meant it to mean basically no comment or withholding comment or okay. remaining silent. Okay. The problem is mokusatsu has several meanings. It can also mean take no notice of or treat with silent contempt or just to ignore. And it seems each individual reporter made their own d decision as to what the Japanese premier meant by using that word. And the Japanese news articles made global news with the underlying message that Japan felt that this declaration for surrender was not worthy of comment and they had ignored it. Oh, okay. So the Allies took that as a direct response of denial of the declaration of sur surrender. So 10 days later, they decided to drop the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Oh my goodness. That's a pretty grim outcome for a linguistic misunderstanding. For real? For real. Now, I don't think it would have taken much for the U.S. at the time yeah. to drop the atomic bomb because they had made several overtures right, and had been snubbed each time. But who knows? Oof. Not long after that, at the height of the Cold War, in fact, November 18th, 1956, the leader of the USSR, Nikita Khrushchev, gave a speech for Western ambassadors at the Polish embassy. So this was Khrushchev's infamous speech where he declared, or so we thought, that the USSR would bury the US. The problem was that Khrushchev's birthplace was close to the Russian-Ukrainian border, and in that region, language and idioms differ somewhat from formal Russian. Mm. So Khrushchev was using his local dialect, and he was attempting to impress on those at the meeting how the Soviet Union would outlast the United States. In other words, he was saying, quote, we shall outlive you. But his translator didn't understand the nuances of the dialect and mistranslated, we shall outlive you, to we shall bury you. <laughs> oh. This, of course, was taken as a direct threat by many NATO members. I mean, it, even if he had said, we will outlive you. That could be. That could be aggressive. Yeah, for sure. Also, if they outlived us and didn't bury us, I would think that would be rude. That would be very rude, at least by our cultural standards. That's true. <laughs> Many of the NATO members were so upset that they stormed out of the room in disbelief. And this was what many years later uh, Kennedy had to deal with, with the Bay of Pigs invasion, that kind of underlying hostility that, mm. that was there at the time. This one sentence, this one mistranslation, set the U.S.-Soviet relations back many years. It took a long time to rebuild communication and I don't want to say trust because neither one trusted the other. But right. Communication is so important. In a less dangerous and far more hilarious political incident, President Jimmy Carter visited Poland in 1977. It was supposed to be just kind of a routine speech that he would give uh, in hopes that the Soviet people would, would hear it. 
Of course, this was still during the Cold War. Speeches during this particular period were very carefully crafted in a way that would hopefully sway, in this case, the Soviet consciousness away from the Soviet Union. These speeches were always dismissed as propaganda by the leaders of the nations that were being addressed. Okay. So it was a very carefully scripted speech, but things didn't go as planned for President Carter. He was attempting to say how he wanted to learn more about the people of Poland and their, quote, desire for the political future. But what was actually translated was that Carter said he desired the Polish people sexually. (laughs) And then he said he had left the United States early that morning, but it was translated to, I left the United States and I'm never going back. So basically, (laughs) Carter told the Polish people he wanted to stay in Poland, have lots of sex with them, and never go back to the U.S. Sure. This caused some initial confusion. Well, I can't imagine why. Did you know that Napoleon had a brother? No. He did. Louis. Louis Bonaparte. Okay. Yeah. Napoleon appointed him the King of Holland, and this was obviously an attempt to install some sort of a puppet administration in that position so that he would do Napoleon Bonaparte's bidding. Okay. But his brother took the appointment very seriously and also attempted to learn to speak the Dutch language, which endeared him to many of his followers. Unfortunately, he really didn't have a full grasp of the language when he tried to give his first speech. He was attempting to declare that he was, in fact, the King of Holland, but instead he declared that he was the Rabbit of Holland, a much more coveted title, if you ask me. (laughs) But he went on to be very beloved, like a little bunny. Yeah, it's a nice nice way to start a relationship. It's Mm self-deprecating when you refer to yourself as a small, fuzzy mammal. In the days before the ballpoint pen became an everyday tool, people wrote mostly with fountain pens, and Parker Pens was one of the biggest suppliers of fountain pens as well as inks. What's Parker Pens up to these days? I think they're still producing pens. Really? Yeah, I believe so. That's great. Good job, Parker Pens. (laughs) Probably more ballpoint in nature, but who's to say? They developed a quick-drying ink that they simply called Quink. Its slogan was that Super Quink ink wouldn't smudge and therefore wouldn't embarrass you with messy handwriting. Mm, quink to me sounds like some type of sexual fetishism. <laughs> I'm a quink. Are, are, are you into quinking? <laughs> Do you quink? Do ya? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Quink, quink. 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 So their slogan was, quote, to avoid embarrassment, use Parker Super Quink. And that worked great here in the U.S., but when they tried to move their marketing campaign into Mexico for the first time, they bought billboards and print ads and bought marketing slots using their slogan, to avoid embarrassment, use Parker Super Quink. However, their copywriter used the word embazaro in place of the word embarrassment, and that means something totally different. So in Mexico, for a period of time, Super Quink by Parker Penn's slogan was, to avoid pregnancy, use Parker Super Quink. First of all, I don't know if anybody ever used Parker Super Quink as a method of birth control. And if they did, I don't wish to know how they administered it. It sounds like it would have been pretty messy. In the 1800s, we experienced a telescope boom. 
and many people had their own personal telescopes. I want a telescope. In 1877, the Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiapelli began mapping the surface of Mars through his telescope and naming the features that he mapped. He noted that there were many channels on the surface, and the Italian word for channel is canali. This was quickly picked up by newspapers and tabloids and mistranslated into the word canal, which implies that there was some sort of intelligent design. Therefore, there must be intelligent life on Mars. This sparked a global Mars mania. Wow. And I'm sure it's no coincidence that uh, just a couple of years after this happened, H.G. Wells' books started to sell like crazy, so he probably got some ideas there. And finally, marketing for Pepsi-Cola went way off the rails once. Just once? Pepsi was originally marketed as a less expensive alternative to Coca-Cola. The first part of the 20th century, they were able to carve out a pretty good piece of the market share, particularly during the Depression, because Pepsi was much cheaper than Coke. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was the poor man's Coke at the time. It was called Coke. I would still agree, but that's just... (laughs) Coke was considered at the time a living room drink where Pepsi was a kitchen drink. I don't understand. Because other people might be in the living room and not your kitchen, or... Well, it was not something that you considered serving your guests. It was looked at as being second class to Coca-Cola in the U.S. Okay. In fact, oftentimes people would save their empty Coke bottles and then they would buy Pepsi and pour it into the empty Stop it. Coke bottles. That's not true. It's true. It reminds me of a scene from an old W.C. Fields film where he takes an empty scotch bottle and puts it on his desk puts a funnel in it, and then starts pouring whiskey from another bottle into it. And somebody said, what are you doing? And he said, aging whiskey. Because he was putting it in a fancier bottle then. Oh, yeah. I see. Mm-hmm. Any hoozle, by the time the 1950s rolled around, the rock and roll craze was all the youngsters were into it. Pepsi decided to capitalize on the rock and roll craze. They marketed Pepsi to the younger crowd. The campaign was called the Pepsi Generation, and it had a catchy jingle, and it went like this. Come alive, you're in the Pepsi Generation. Come alive, you're in the Pepsi Generation. You're in. (laughs) Well, the marketing strategy was crazy successful in the U.S. The Pepsi Generation campaign lasted decades, but soon after it was officially launched in the U.S., they launched it in China. And after they did that, in China, sales began to plummet there. Oh, no. They found out it was due to the mistranslation of their slogan. It was translated a little too literally. Instead of Pepsi helping you come alive in the Pepsi generation, China was told Pepsi will reanimate your dead loved ones from the grave and bring your ancestors back from heaven. And sales went down? Yeah, apparently thirsty Chinese people weren't thirsty enough to risk a zombie apocalypse, so they passed on that. Anyway, my sources came from Ranker, Scientific American, CNN, and The Washington Post. Oh, I love that. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Back in 2006, William Shatner passed a kidney stone. The Shat sold the stone for $25,000 to an online casino. The casino, of course, wanted the ensuing publicity. Shatner, however, donated the money to Habitat for Humanity. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Oleander writes, I work at Office Depot in Tampa. And I just saw a man that looks so much like Jethro. I actually had to stop him and, and ask him if his name was Jethro. <laughs> wow. So Jethro, you've got a twin named Rich living in Tampa. 
Lucky Tampa. <laughs> Love you guys. Have a great weekend. We got a message from Novel Addictions on Instagram. Just listened to Box 457 and had my second boo effect. I grew up in Edinburgh, and there's a monument in our city gardens, Princess Street Gardens. It had a dark past before it was the gardens. It was called Norlock, and that actually could be a fun story. Anyway, the monument is for Wojtek. I grew up riding on Wojtek's back in the summers. Luckily, Monument Wojtek is made of monument stuff and not a real live bear. <laughs> sure. My parents aren't that irresponsible. But it was so lovely to hear his backstory. I almost teared up when Kat told us about him carrying the boxes. Animals are the best. Thanks for all you do. I have to agree with you. Diana sent us an email. Does the box of shallow end effect exist? <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to Box of Oddities since episode 400. Then I started listening to the beginning. Somewhere around episode 9 or 10, the thing in the middle was weird things people had removed from their butts. And I got a huge kick out of this as I used to work in a medical laboratory and we would, way more often than you would expect, get specimen bags with, quote, foreign objects removed from people's southern quarters in them. I laughed about how much deeper, pun intended, you could go into that subject And then the next day, the shallow end, episode nine, I got my wish, LOL. Yeah, we did a story about a guy, (laughs) this is on the shallow end, we did a story about a guy who showed up at a uh, a British hospital with a World War II era mortar shell in his ass. And they, they made two calls, one to a proctologist and one to a munitions expert. And you can check that out on our sister podcast, The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth. The link is in our show description. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Tell me a story, my love. All right, well, um... I had a bit of a boo effect myself. I was working on this topic, doing a little reading about it, when I took a break and I was examining some articles about how there are Americans who are freaking out 
about Cracker Barrel adding impossible sausage <laughs> to their menu. Now, you may or may not have heard of this uh, chain restaurant controversy, but uh, apparently they decided they would offer impossible sausage in addition to all their other yeah. meaty options. Not, not a uh, replacement. No, no. But very angry are some people who have said that they're never eating at Cracker Barrel again because they offer something that they are in no way being forced to eat. Anyway, <laughs> in the comments section, which of course I launched to immediately, mm -hmm. um, I saw a lot of very angry people. Um, then a lot of people who were laughing at the very angry people. And then one man who commented that he was in fact a pork farmer and was recently diagnosed with a meat allergy. And so he was thrilled that Impossible Sausage had been added. And y'all can screw yourselves. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Why Why would people get upset about that? It's just another There's option. There's no logic to it. I don't get it. Whatever. It's bizarre. It's interesting for me because I have been reading about AlphaGal. AlphaGal is a serious, potentially life-threatening allergic reaction, and it's unique in a lot of ways, including the cause and the resulting symptoms. The syndrome is caused by a tick bite, Ooh. and the result is an allergy to meat. No kidding. Alpha-gal? Alpha-gal. Sounds like a 1950s superhero. It sure does. It's named after a carbohydrate, galactose A1, or 3-galactose. It's a sugar molecule found in most mammals. Alpha-gal can be found in pork, beef, rabbit, lamb, venison, etc., and products made from mammals. And in the U.S., the Lone Star Tick is the primary source of the so-called red meat allergy. The alpha-gal carbohydrate is found in the tick's saliva, which is injected into a person's skin when the tick is feeding. The person's body will then release immunoglobulin E antibodies to combat the foreign substance's presence. And then, after red meat is eaten and the alpha-gal carbohydrate is digested, the allergen binds to the antibodies that cause the cell to release histamine and other chemicals to try to protect you. But it's the trying to protect you that's actually kind of fucking you over. So you can have pretty nasty symptoms like hives, Ew. itchy rash, nausea, vomiting, heartburn or indigestion, diarrhea, cough, shortness of breath, drop of blood pressure, swelling of the lips, tongue, throat, eyelids, dizziness, and severe stomach pain. But bacon's so delicious. Worth it. <laughs> you don't even eat bacon. No, not anymore. People may not have an allergic reaction after every alpha-gal exposure, and symptoms of alpha-gal can vary a lot from case to case. The severity of the symptoms varies from person to person, and they can become more severe as time goes on. Symptoms commonly appear two to six hours after eating meat or dairy products, or after exposure to products containing alpha-gal. And what's interesting about that is most food allergies occur immediately after the consumption of the offending food. So it's partially the process of having digested the alpha-gal. I see. I hate ticks, by the way. Yeah, no, they're gross and awful. They're terrible creatures. You remember that time you got one? You talked to me from work and you were like, I found a tick on myself. And then we were both all itchy all day. Yeah. 
and I called my doctor because I was pretty sure I had Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And he said, no, probably not. Probably not. Anyway, that's weird. Uh, Mild symptoms can be treated with regular over-the-counter meds, but a severe allergic reaction can include anaphylaxis, which has to be treated with epinephrine. Or like an EpiPen. Yes. Okay. So you can see how it can be pretty serious. I I was golfing with a guy one time who uh, was stung by a bunch of hornets. Yeah. And went into uh, anaphylactic shock. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was okay. Oh. (laughs) It's the only time I ever beat him in golf. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, it's a good story, sweetie. Thanks. Yeah. Part of the problem is that there's so much to learn still about alpha-gal as it was discovered relatively recently. Allergy researcher Thomas Platts Mills of the University of Virginia has been studying alpha-gal since 2002, and he was among the first to describe it in scientific literature. He was talking about how the distribution range and abundance of the Lone Star Tick has increased steadily since alpha-gal syndrome has been uncovered, which is not a great thing because more ticks mean more people affected. The Lone Star Tick is concentrated in the eastern and south-central regions of the U.S., and it's usually carried by deer. But it's also found in Europe, Australia, and Asia, and alpha-gal molecules have been found in different types of ticks. So as the number of ticks in the location where the ticks are found increases, so does the number of cases. And it doesn't help that these ticks are assholes. (laughs) In my mind, all ticks are assholes. Well, these ones are particularly aggressive. Its larval form will bite humans. No other American tick does that. That's terrifying. And it's gross. Ticks are so gross. I'm so itchy right now. (laughs) You remember that time Banjo got a tick and I freaked out? Yes, I I do remember that, yeah. (laughs) And I kept crying because I was sure he was going to (laughs) die. Even though, like, I know stuff. Yeah, you you came in a little hot with that one. I did. (laughs) He's got a tick. I better start digging a hole. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that was a bit much. Anyway, how exactly this syndrome works is still unknown. And there's some indication that the allergy can just go away. But it's not known why it might just go away because it's not really known why we get it. Plus, for those who develop alpha-gal syndrome, there are no treatments. Avoiding meat is really the key to avoiding an allergic reaction. But... Then again, there are some variations. As I've said, it can vary so much from person to person. Uh, Some are unable to eat not just beef, pork, lamb, rabbit, but also chicken, turkey, dairy. Mm. Can't take meds because they're in those gel caps. People with severe AGS might react to ingredients in certain vaccines or medications, not necessarily the gelatin in them, but other ingredients, like, for example, a certain cancer medicine. Can't have it. Wow. None of this is good, then. No. No. 
No. And there's no, like, counterpoint. There's no, like, okay, yes, you can't eat meat and you're wildly allergic to dairy and gel caps. But you have, like... But you have a superpower. Right, like x-ray vision right, or something. Right, there's yeah. none of that. No, nothing. Nothing no, good comes no of No Peter it. Parker moment there. No. Either way, the best option is to avoid tick bites, which I think is a great plan just across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. That's alpha-gal syndrome. And Susan Dillard uh, suggested that on the Freaks group. Uh, she wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And so I got to learn a little bit more about it. And that was fun. I mean, the whole the alpha-gal syndrome is not no, fun. That's gross. I actually joined a Facebook group for people who have alpha-gal to just see like what they were saying about their experiences with it. And a lot of it was about foods that they mm. discovered have hidden ingredients that they didn't know about. Like hidden meat ingredients? Yeah. Like there's a plant-based cheese that is like an off-brand from a major chain store where you might see RVs parking overnight. Uh Anyway, um, and their plant-based cheese contains ingredients that are... Animals? Animal products. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point in making a plant-based product and then putting meat in it? I just... Well, it's, it's not meat. It's a byproduct of some sort of... Probably Me- like like a lot of cheeses, for instance. Cheese isn't always vegetarian because it's made with the lining of a cow's stomach. Right. So there, it's there's a lot of hidden things like that. Gotcha. But it's like making a dairy-free cheese with dairy in it. Yeah. I don't I don't follow the logic there. There is no logic. Okay then. I find that a lot with vegetable soups made with beef broth. You know <laughs> that doesn't help me. Nope. There's that. I'm all done. Oh, I got my information from Wikipedia. I didn't really. The CDC, WebMD, ACAAI.com, Virginia.gov, and that AlphaGal group on Facebook. Thanks for letting me join, even though I don't have it. I just wanted to learn. Please let me stay. Yeah, I wonder if they found out that you don't have AlphaGal, if they would drum you out. Well, I am a vegetarian. So, I mean, I'm, it's like solidarity, sort of. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't know if they'd see it that way, but uh, again, if you want to check out The Shallow End, our newest podcast project, the link is in the show notes of this episode of The Box of Oddities. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Immunoglobulin. Immunoglobulin. Oh, that's a tough one. Immunoglobulin E antibiotic. Antibiotics. <laughs> antibiotics. <laughs> That's fun. All right. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. Your face is still there. (laughs) And it's beautiful. Thank you. The person's body will then release (laughs) immunoglobulin.
The person's body will then release immunoglobulin E antibodies. And it's so hard to say. <laughs> immunoglobulin E antibodies. 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 Immunoglobulin. It's hard. Yes, yes, it is. The person's body will then release immunoglobulin E antibodies. <laughs> I keep saying antibodies. Antibodies. <sighs> 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 